possibility of what God looks like. Think about like a Russian nesting doll. Mm -hmm. It's ongoing inward and outward. God's without end. So this idea of a singular one white male God mm -hmm. in the sky dictating decrees, it didn't really match everything else I was reading and learning about Mormon cosmology, Mormon philosophy, and, and even just Mormon doctrine, is the idea that each and every one of us can become a god, and other gods have come before us too. So it's not, I am a child of God, it's, I'm a child of gods. Hmm. I can become that way too. And so when you think about, okay, what is God then? What is it I'm striving to become? What is it I'm trying to be like? God is the evolution of our species. So when we talk about the evolution of humanity and the evolution of our species, God's the next step. If we play our cards right, if we're benevolent, if we're compassionate, follow the example of Jesus Christ. But that's the path and the example in which we are to follow to achieve our Godhood. From time to time on social media, I will put out there, specifically maybe on Facebook, I'll say, hey, you know what? I'm looking for some interesting people who I can have in the cultural hall, right? We all know that this is a positive and safe space for us to be able to talk about anything and everything around the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And well, uh, I did this a while ago, and I got a bunch of suggestions, and I'm working my way through them. And one of the ones that I was given uh, was the name Blair Osler. And one of the things that we were uh, to talk about is transhumanism. And I admit, and I will often do this here in the cultural hall, I will say yes and then just jump in on what that is. Most of the time, not actually knowing what it is that I'm actually going to talk to them about. Meaning, like I like to learn alongside you, and that's definitely what I do in this episode. So, for those of you that know a lot about that, I hope you'll forgive my ignorance. For those of you that don't know anything about transhumanism, I hope that you'll appreciate that I went, huh, I don't know anything about this either. And now I present for you this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall visiting with Blair Osler. Now, here's what I know about Blair as we go into this conversation. One, I'm supposed to ask her about transhumanism, which I have no idea what that is. But when I said, hey... I'm going to be visiting with Blair Osler. Someone said, you got, you have to ask her about this. So I'm excited to know what even that is. I hope that I don't make a, a poor representation of myself as I ask questions around it. I also would like to know with the last name Osler, if she's related to all of the Oslers that are in the podcasting space, the Blair, uh, not the Blair, the uh, Papa Osler, the David Osler, all that, if she comes from that lineage. And I also know that she does some work with Sunstone. So with that phenomenal introduction, welcome, Blair. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited for the conversation. So uh, I need to ask you, what do you know about the cultural hall? Uh, so regrettably, not much. I actually don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I actually probably appear on more podcasts than I actually listen to. That that's fair. That's fair. But so so you are you are like I am with you. We kind of are like, oh, all right. They, I, you know, he offered, and sure, why not. I know, right? I'm just like, I don't know anything about you or what this is going to be like, but why not? I've been on enough podcasts to, you know, just go with it. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, then let's start maybe with the easy things. When we say your last name is Osler, are you in fact related to David, Papa Osler, all of those Oslers? So uh, I'm an Osler through marriage. So my husband's actually an Osler. And um, there's actually four Osler brothers that came here to the Americas uh -huh. 100 or two years ago. 
And um, we actually split off from a different Osler than Richard Osler and David Osler. And we're actually different from Blake Osler and Jacob Osler, mm-hmm. who are from a different Osler bu- brother. So um, I'm actually not related to any of them, but um, I'm sure you go far enough down the line. We're related somewhere. I mean, it's Mormonism, right? Sure, <laughs> sure. And what's perfect about that is I knew that there would be more than just a I don't know to that because of your roots within Mormonism. Like I knew that you have had to have at least looked at it or hopped online to like family search or ancestry and been like people people okay nope not quite so good good now your work with sunstone for people who have no idea what sunstone is maybe we tell people what what that is and then what you do with them yeah so i'm on the board at sunstone sunstone is great it's a great place to facilitate conversation discussion uh we have a magazine and we have symposiums And Sunstone's big theme is there is more than one way to Mormon. And I really love the inclusivity. I really love the broadness. And so we have uh, people from all different walks of Mormonism come here. It's not just a Latter-day Saint thing. We have people from Community Christ. We have fundamentalists and all sorts of different kinds of Mormons come together and talk about all things Mormon, even though we all came from uh, the fact that Joseph Smith saw God and wrote, you know, and Mm -hmm. translated it. Mormon. <laughs> right. And so when people, you know, the fact that you would say Mormon to some people, they sort of bristle and go, now Blair, we have been told not only a victory for Satan, but to refer to it as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But we take it as a broader approach as from the Book of Mormon, as from the back time of, of Joseph Smith and everything with that. Exactly. So when we say Mormon, we actually mean Mormon. It's, yep. It includes Latter-day Saints, of course, mm-hmm. but it also includes other people who still embrace the label Mormonism. So uh, before we get into the transhumanists, because I would imagine, though I, again, know very little about what that even is. In fact, I'm not even sure that I'm saying it correctly, but press pause. I want to know who uh, who Blair uh, Osler is. Who who are you? Where are you from? What's your story? Let's get let's go back to the trenches. Oh, sure. You know, how much time do you have? No, <laughs> I mean, we've uh, got almost an hour. So let's go. So uh, I grew up in the church. I'm a ninth generation Mormon. Um, so what's the I, wait, wait, wait. What's the maiden name then? If you're ninth generation, it's got to be a name we recognize. So my maiden name is Carpenter. OK. And um, you go down the line enough. I'm actually a descendant of Amanda Barnes Smith, who is one of Joseph Smith's plural wives spiritual plural wives you have to distinguish the difference between them so i'm sealed to joseph smith via her line Mm -hmm. and um actually when you talk about (laughs) genealogy my husband actually intersects up at that line too and we actually found out we were six six cousins 10 years into our marriage i'm like oh that's weird (laughs) no it's fine it's fine Uh if if it's Uh more than if it's more than one it's perfectly fine you're totally fine totally fine (laughs) um so yep Mormon through and through, born and raised. Um, like Utah? I, like Utah or elsewhere? No. So actually, I grew up, um, I was a military brat. So mm. we moved all around all over. So we went to branches in basements in Korea. Mm. And I've lived in Hawaii and all sorts of other places. So definitely dipping my toes into all sorts of different kinds of uh, Latter-day Saint experiences. But um, a relatively orthodox home, the usual things really. Um, Lots of kids. Uh, I have three kids. I have three children. I, yep. I, sorry, I meant in uh, in your home of origin. So. Oh, in my home. <laughs> yeah. Um, two sisters. Okay. So there's three of us, uh, and um, 
typical Mormon upbringing. Uh, I went to school out here. I have a couple of degrees. I have a degree in design. I have a degree in philosophy with the emphasis in queer theory. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, I do a lot of work in transhumanism. I'm on the Christian transhumanist board the Mormon Transhumanist Association board, and as you noted, the Sunstone board. Mm -hmm. So between all those things, and um, I'm also a writer authoring my first book, which hopefully will come out next year. So yeah, that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell right now. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm LGBTQ as well, so I do a lot of LGBTQ advocacy work too. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the design thing, because as we're doing this interview over Zoom, one of the things that that stuck out to me the most is as we sat down and, and you appeared on my screen, like the backdrop of your Zoom screen is perfect. It's the perfectly placed chair with the complimented color behind it. It's not too busy, but it's also not drab and boring. We've accentuated the uh, railing down the stairs like it. It is very much people that are Patreon subscribers of the Cultural Hall who see this video will go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That 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 backdrop is on point. Yeah, I, I, I picked this room because it has the best acoustics. And I'm actually sitting on the floor on a yeah. rug. But I'm glad the background giving you the full effect of my design skills. Of course, <laughs> of course it does. So uh, school, where did you go to school? You got a couple of degrees. Are we talking BYU? Yeah, so or are we yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to an art school in Seattle for my first degree. I also went to BYU very briefly and decided it was not the right match for me. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up getting a second degree at UVU in philosophy, and that was a terrific experience. Loved every second of it. Um, and we're still in Utah now in Provo. Nice. So when we talk about uh, UVU, for people who don't know, that's uh, Utah Valley University. It used to be Utah Valley State College. And a degree in philosophy. I've all, I always tease people that get degrees in philosophy because they'll be like, yeah, it was a great degree. And I'll say, but was it? <laughs> what Was it a good experience? Let's, let's mull about that a little bit. What, what exactly does that entail? I think when we, th when we hear philosophy, that idea of like, no, it's not. Yes, it is. Hmm. Let's think about whether it is or it isn't is all that comes to mind. Um, basically, I'm totally biased and arrogant and think it's the best <laughs> degree you can possibly get because... Before there was any other subjects, there was philosophy. It predated math. It predated science. It predated everything else. So the fact that we think about other things is here because of philosophy. Okay. And um, I loved it. I loved logic. I love existentialism. I love epistemology and ontology, all of it. I just want to dive right into it. How does that uh, inform your faith then, the idea of philosophy and faith? Yeah, so that's definitely an interesting question. I'll, there's a joke in Hmong philosophers that um, you get a philosophy degree and you come out an atheist. Mm -hmm. And it was actually the opposite for me. I had already lost my faith in God and was pretty much an atheist at that point. I came out of philosophy going, oh my gosh, no, there's totally a God. And we are totally not thinking about this the right way at all. <laughs> and there's way more to our universe and our existence than we are currently understanding and broadening our minds for totally and for God. <laughs> hmm, hmm. So tell me, tell me a little bit more about that experience, because there would some be some that are listening to this who are wandering and thinking, man, we're not doing this the right way, or I don't connect with any sort of way. So, so what was your experience then to find God instead of to find atheism? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. The pluralisms of atheisms and yeah. theisms and things like that. Well, basically, I was at a point where I had deconstructed an elementary view of God, which was basically the perception that there is this one singular male who is white and he is up in the sky and conducting all the things mm -hmm. in that kind of regard. And it's probably, um, you know, it, it is an, I'll, I'll say it gently, an elementary 
interpretation of God and understanding of Mormon theology and that type of aesthetic of God, that projection of God, that didn't really appeal to me anymore because of how I was being treated in the name of that God. Hmm. As a woman, I felt marginalized. As a queer person, I definitely was marginalized in the name of that God, like mm-hmm. so many other people are. It's not just a Mormon problem. It's a, you know much bigger than that. And so I had just deconstructed that idea of God and said, oh, no, I don't believe in that at all. I don't believe in a God that separates family at the borders and Mm -hmm. puts them in different places because someone drank coffee or someone's gay. I just didn't believe that. And so I was like, oh, okay, so I'm just an atheist. Okay, Mm. cool. Until I am opened to all these new and interesting ideas and philosophy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, God can be something far bigger and beautiful and imaginative than anything I was previously internalizing or anything that was previously being taught to me. And so um, through the process of getting my philosophy degree, and I was also doing work at Sunstone, podcasting, reading, writing, things like that, blogging, I had re-envisioned what the Mormon God looked like. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, that's actually the God I believe in. It is a Mormon God. It's just not really with the same aesthetics that everybody else was talking about. It's a little bigger. It's a broader, it's a broader idea of God. And that spills a lot into transhumanism too, for me. It's interesting as you were describing kind of God, it it very much seems to be like a very basic level of like, God is the one white man and, and, and this, right. But, but as we know from Certainly from from our past and the doctrines of other things about a heavenly mother. And then we we start to, you know, expand that out to like heavenly parents and, and both would be considered gods. And then this idea that that we can become gods like it. It starts to expand a little bit more uh, than all that. Is that the journey you're talking about that as it sort of started to expound? Yes, that okay. is that is the very tip of the iceberg of where I started to expand from. It was the idea, oh, if we have a heavenly mother and a heavenly father, we at least have two gods in conjunction with one another, Mm -hmm. right? This idea of the masculine and feminine have come together to create this kind of a God experience, right? And you brought up a very, very important and poignant part of Mormon theology, which is the idea of deification or theosis. Mm -hmm. We all get to become gods. We can all share in God's glory. We all have that power. And not only that, God wasn't always God. God used to be like us. God used to be a human. God became a God. So I don't think that God was the first God to be ever to be, to be able to become a God. So if you think about hymns like on high to Kolob, mm-hmm. world gods within gods, worlds without ends, mm-hmm. gods that never end, the possibility of what God looks like. Um, think about like a like a like a Russian nesting doll. Mm-hmm. It's ongoing, inward and outward. Gods without end. So this idea of a singular one white male God in mm-hmm. the sky dictating decrees and things like that, it didn't really match everything else I was reading and learning about Mormon cosmology, Mormon philosophy, and, and even just Mormon doctrine is the idea that each and every one of us can become a God and other gods have come before us too. So it's not, I am a child of God. It's I'm a child of gods. Mm. I can become that way too. And so when you think about, okay, what is God then? What is it I'm striving to become? What is it I'm trying to be like? Well, God is the evolution of our species. It is the next step in our eternal progression. If we're human now, 
Well, to become gods, we'd have to become post-human. Mm -hmm. We'd have to become something greater. So just like hominids existed before humans, humans exist before post-humans. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the evolution of humanity and the evolution of our species, God's the next step if we play our cards right, if mm -hmm. we're benevolent, if mm -hmm. we're compassionate, follow the example of Jesus Christ, these kind of things. But that's the path and the example in which we are to follow to achieve our godhood. And if we're going to achieve godhood, it's already kind of likely that if we do believe in a God, well, that a God achieved it too. So other gods have achieved it too. Mm -hmm. And we can too. I think on this level, as members of the church, uh, as, uh, as, as people of faith, we go, sure. But then when you start to get into other kind of levels of it or like, yeah, but consider this, we go, hang on, Blair. That, where is that? Where are you reading that from? Are you just inferring this? Or, I mean, even at the very root of what you said with sort of philosophy, we get the idea the philosophy, the philosophies of men mingled with scripture and we quickly go, let's put the brakes on this one. I'm going to worry about treating each other kindly and not really worry about these higher sort of philosophies. So, so what say you to that, Blair? Yeah, no, I think if you want to focus on the basic things, like be nice to each other, more power to you. Don't worry about, don't worry about becoming God. If you're being a good, nice person right now, that will be the natural progression of it. You don't have to go get a philosophy degree. You don't have to anything like that. Mm -hmm. If you're doing the basic things, this is why primary is the best. And yeah. following the example of Jesus is the best that if we do these basic things, treat each other with kindness, read our scriptures. Um, and all these kinds of things that they will help us along our pathway. So for me, I wouldn't say you have to jump to this big theological jump. I'm like, no, you just do those baby steps and it's just the next progression along. Yes, sometimes in Mormonism, um, in multiple Mormon traditions, we are kind of allergic to the idea of philosophy, right? The right. philosophies of men mingled with scriptures. First of all, mine is the philosophies of women. It's even yeah. more dangerous. Oh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. So uh, there are Mormon philosophers and Mormon philosophers do a lot of work. And this church was actually uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's actually established by philosophers. Joseph Smith himself was somewhat of a philosopher. And it was Brigham Young who said that um, my religion is natural philosophy. And that's also like a reference to science. So these ideas aren't particularly foreign, even though sometimes they can feel a little scary to come some people because, you know, of the stories and traditions we've been told, but mm -hmm. this is all right here in Mormonism and always was from the beginning, this idea that um, we should use other tools at our disposal, tools like technology, tools like science, uh, tools like philosophy, math, and all these things. We don't have to be allergic to them. They're all part of that. So when we say the philosophies of men mingled with scripture, my question would be is, when you go to the temple, you're doing philosophy. Hmm. Uh, hmm. When you're in gospel doctrine, you're doing philosophy. Anytime you ask a question, you're doing philosophy. And we're supposed to ask questions. The whole church started because Joseph Smith went into the woods and asked a question. He sure. was doing philosophy. And so we should be doing that too. And doing it again with um, respect and dignity for the traditions and other people and things like that. But philosophy is not scary. So so let me ask you this then on the other side of that and then and then we'll take a break once you answer this question is on the other side of that then what do you feel like that warning is in in reference to right the beware of the philosophies of man mingled with scripture what do you think that that's referencing? So Mormonism and I'll say specifically the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints mm -hmm. um like any religious institution 
has to worry about things going awry. And we always have to worry about, to a certain degree, having a line of authority, having a cohesive structure, a correlated manual, and things like that. Because if you don't, anybody could be going doing anything, and no one's recording anything, and God's house is a house of order, right? Yeah. So we have to have some kind of like authority, tradition, correlation, or something like that. And I think the philosophies of men mingled with scriptures are kind of rooted in that idea that like, well, we have a certain authority structure here. We have a system in place. We record names. We do this type of work and everything like that. And so if your philosophy is deviating from that too much, well, we're worried it's going to threaten the authority that has already been established. Hmm. And that can be really tricky for some people. Where is the authority in the church? Where does it lie? Where do we give our credence to? Is it more in personal revelation? Is it more in institutional revelation? What those boundaries are, that's going to be different for everybody else. So I think the warning is more a way to kind of keep people in line more than anything else, which I can see has a practical purpose. But also, we were supposed to ask questions. We were never supposed to stop asking questions. I love it. Let's take a break real quick. When we come back in the second block, I will get right into transhumanism. Is that how I'd say it? Transhumanism? Yeah, you're saying it correctly. All right. All right. I'm going to find out what the heck it is coming back in the second block of the cultural hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. I know we're going through a lot right now. Many states are quarantining people to their homes so that they have to work remotely. One of the things that's really important is to have a computer that's functioning correctly. One with a good webcam, one that's fast so you can be productive, one that has a good quality screen because you're going to be on this all day remotely. Computer supply has been strained because manufacturing has almost stopped. At PC Laptops, we've secured a limited quantity of laptop and desktop computers that are backed with a lifetime service guarantee. They're available for you right now in limited quantity. The great thing about PC Laptops is this. Once you buy your new computer, if you have any problems or questions, we're here to take care of you. Also, to make it really easy right now, We've arranged with some banks to offer 12-month special financing. Get into PC Laptops right now, because at PC Laptops, we're here for you, and we're in this together. PCLaptops.com. If you love this conversation, you want to see other great conversations like this occur in the future, in perpetuity, make sure you go to Patreon.com forward slash The Cultural Hall. By your donation, it allows great conversations like this to occur. In some ways, it pays for things like the Zoom that you're using, and, and, and in other ways, it just makes me go, hey, that's worth my time. I'll keep doing that. Patreon.com forward slash The Cultural Hall. Blair, what in the world is transhumanism? So transhumanism is a philosophical and intellectual movement generally led by atheists. And the idea that we should use science and technology to radically improve humanity. So on the most basic level, it would be things like using your phone to improve the world. Um, on a much bigger scale, it's anti-aging technologies. Hmm. It's um, 
radically changing our genetics and it's things like CRISPR and all sorts of things that get into changing humanity for the better. I have Grant- no, hold on. I have no idea what CRISPR is. What is that? Oh, CRISPR. It's a gene editing tool used to basically cut and splice genes, re-put them back together. So you can like remove defects and genes like that, put it back together. And in theory, you can do this and through in vitro fertilization, you can basically, it's the idea of uh, air quotes, designer babies. Like, play, like playing God with genes is what it sounds like to me. Uh, it could be considered <laughs> that way. I look at it more when you take your kid to go get them vaccinated. Mm-hmm. What if you just took care of their genes to begin with and you just didn't have to vaccinate them? Hmm. It's a vaccination before they're even born. Or um, we give ourselves prenatal vitamins while we're pregnant. Well, you wouldn't need them if you just took care of the genes beforehand. So um, I'd like to look at it as preemptive medicine as Hmm. opposed to playing God. But sure, if vaccines are playing God, if surgery is playing God, curing cancer and double bypass surgeries are playing God. Okay, I'm down with that. And and we need practice if we're going to become God. We might as well, you know, in these small ways. No, is that not necessarily? Exactly. No, I couldn't (laughs) agree more. Um, Actually, one of my favorite quotes by um, Elder Holland was at the, I think it was the Arizona Temple dedication, where he said, gods don't just pop out of the grounds like daisies. You have to practice Hmm. and you do godly things and you keep doing godly things. It's a progression. It's a process line upon line, precept on precept. You don't just die and then wake up in the next life and you're a God. No, this is it right now. This is our probation right now. We are actually supposed to be playing God in all the best ways possible. There's a certain amount of comfortability that people have with this, I would imagine, in general. And then uh, there's a certain point where they go, yeah, okay, all right. All right, that we have pushed that to the limits or I better not do this or this is where it becomes uncomfortable or heresy or what, you know, whatever the things. Yeah, everybody has a different point at where that is. What is that comfort point and what is not that comfort point? Mm-hmm. Most of the time when I talk to members or uh, Latter-day Saints about uh, transhumanism or Mormon transhumanism, it's kind of what you're saying. Like, it's, it's like cautious optimism. Like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's totally in line. But I don't know about making people immortal. Yeah. It's like, uh, have you heard of the three Nephites? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's usually finding ways to talk to people in their comfort zone. So mm-hmm. let's say I'm working with someone who's more of a Luddite. They're very anti-technology. I don't like it. It sounds foreign, and mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, something simple like hand soap. We use hand soap. It is the technology we have invented to prevent infectious disease from going around everywhere. It has been proven time and time again that hand soap cleans your hands and prevents disease, especially if you're a doctor or a surgeon or work in the healthcare industry or anything like that. Mm-hmm. We invented soap. We use soap to save lives. We are playing God when we wash our hands. Mind on the most- blown. <laughs> On the most basic levels, we are using our technology to radically improve the lives of our children. I give my kids Flintstone vitamins every morning Mm. and I am playing God. I'm saying, oh, you know what? Your body would be better with this thing. So I'm going to give you this thing. Your body is going to ingest it. That technology, that vitamin is going to become a part of your body and enhance your human experience. So these are the most basic technological things we're already doing. We're already cheating death. We're already defying those boundaries every day in every hospital imaginable. And most people are really thrilled about that. And so it's just finding that boundary that when I make the leaps and jumps into transhumanism, 
that we just take baby steps. Mm -hmm. Let's start with hand soap. Then we'll start with vitamins. Then we'll start with vaccines. And then before you know it, you're like, oh yeah, okay. So triple bypass surgery and oh, people with diabetes and have the, the oh my gosh, what the are they pump, called? The, the yeah, insulin, the insulin pump. pump. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, they're cyborgs. Yes, you're right. Cyborgs already exist. We're already here doing our things. So our technology is already intimately woven and bound into our experience. And in many ways, I like to remind people like, we're all kind of sort of transhumanists already. Mm -hmm. The real question is, how far do we want to take it? What kind of gods do we want to be? We're already playing God right now. What kind of decisions are we going to make? Are we going to make sure the good gods won? What kind of gods do we want to be? And so for me, that's where Mormon transhumanism comes into play because I get a lot of my transhumanist ethics from the gospels, from Jesus Christ, from mm -hmm. that example, because that still speaks to my soul. So, so tell me what you mean by that. What are the ethics of transhumanism? There has to be, I would imagine, at some point, a, a, a boundary, a border before. I mean, you said, you know, it's, it's one thing, then it's another. And I'm thinking, Blair, we're talking about the camel's nose in the tent and then we can't get the camel out. What are the, what are the ethics of Mormon transhumanism? Yeah. So um, contrary to popular belief, people think transhumanists are just technology cheerleaders mm -hmm. and they're just OK with everything. Let's bring in all the technology to solve all our problems. And transhumanists know better. We're like, no, 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 no. It's not just technological cheerleaders. It's understanding the risks, the rewards, the gains, and mitigating for those risks. Some technologies are really dangerous and irreversible and could change our species dramatically. Some technologies are, are, are dangerous and maybe they should never even be created in the first place. So for transhumanists, even secular transhumanists, um, we debate these morals and ethics on a regular basis, usually through philosophy. With that, there's also H+, the biggest transhumanist, or, uh, transhumanist organization, and there's a board and there's a creed. At the Mormon Transhumanist Association, we have two of our own documents that all our members sign. It's, um, it's, we have one that's the H+, declaration, talks about ethics in there. And the other one is our own affirmation mm -hmm. and it incorporates the gospel of Jesus Christ into transhumanist tenets. So for example, um, Jesus Christ, he went around healing the sick, giving the blind sight, um, healing the lepers, raising people from the dead. And then Jesus Christ actually said, he said it, what did he say in the gospels? He says, go and do as I have done. Mm -hmm. The average Mormon transhumanist would say, yep, let's go do it. Let's go cure leprosy. Let's go make sure the blind can see. And guess what? We're already doing that today. Yeah. We've already cured leprosy with triple antibiotic ointment cream. And uh, Jesus said, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And transhumanists would go, yeah, we should be doing that. Raise people from the dead? Blair, you're taking it too far. <laughs> and then I go back. Let's go backwards a little. So let's talk about this idea of raising the dead. What, what are defibrillators? Is someone dead before you jumpstart their heart again? Right. What about people who are legally dead on an operating board who don't have a heart pumping or anything like that, but we bring them back. We bring them back from the dead. So in a small way, we're already kind of sort of bringing people back from the dead. We're just saying we need to get better at that and better at that and better at that. Maybe we just don't need death at all. Maybe all our prophecies about immortality and the earth, this earth right here being crowned with celestial glory and celestial inhabitants will inhabit it forever and ever, just like the DNC had prophesied. Mormon transhumanists would go, 
yeah, I believe that scripture. Let's make that happen. Hmm. Let's make that happen. That's our scripture. That's our creed. Let's do it. And so, yeah, that is a lot for people to handle. And we don't normally talk about it that robustly. We scratch the surface of Mormon theology, but we don't quite dig deep enough to read into the full implications of what our scriptures are actually telling us. And sure, that can be scary for some people. And if that is scary for someone, I say, that's cool. Let's go back to the basics. What did Jesus (laughs) say? Be nice to each other. You do that. We're good. Yeah. We're good. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a, it is a fascinating thing that I am learning so much. Uh, you, you see me and my eyes are just like, as they, you know, as I'm, as I'm trying to think about this. And, 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 and one thing that you point out is that it certainly is uh, an idea that we don't talk a ton about speculation as to why we don't talk a, a lot about transhumanism within the church. Well, transhumanism itself is um, a relatively uh, niche movement. It's Mm -hmm. not totally mainstream. Most people who are attracted to it usually had PhDs, philosophy degrees, they're quantum physics experts. Smarty pants, got it. Smarty pants. No, we can't hang. I get it. I get it. Us dumber folks can't hang out with all the cool smart kids. That's actually near and dear to my heart because one of my personal goals as I've participated on the board of the Mormon Transhumanist Association and I was CEO for a while is that I wanted it to be accessible. I didn't want people to feel like, oh, I can't be a transhumanist. I don't have a PhD in quantum mechanics. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't have to have a PhD in quantum mechanics. Okay. Let's just take it back to the basics. And so um, I think sometimes we don't talk about it is kind of like, your facial expression when I'm talking about Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. For some people, it's very, it's almost, um, it's jarring, but not jarring in a way like um, you're telling me something that's wrong, but jarring in the way that says that is really orthodox. Mm -hmm. And we're almost not used to that kind of orthodoxy, that kind of rigor and robustness that's just sitting right there in Mormon theology. Um, I think the average Latter-day Saint focuses on beautiful things, on ministering, taking care of one another, serving the sick and needy, and all those kinds of things. And those are wonderful things, but there's there's more. So it's not that it's um, a better or worse kind of thing. It's just there's a more thing. And when you're ready to take that next step, hey, I'm there with you. Let's go talk about it. Because I love sitting in the cultural hall and seeing <laughs> someone's eyes go, oh my gosh, she's right. <laughs> We are supposed to raise people from the dead. (laughs) (laughs) So what have you gained then? Uh, I'm curious. I mean, there, there certainly hasn't been anything that I'm like, no, you're wrong. Get out of here, Blair. Get, get, you know, I mean, it's new. So much of it is new. 20 minutes ago, I didn't know what transhumanist really was. I probably could have, you know, pieced it together with some of the root words, et cetera. But, but like, what then have you gained from, from this or how does this inform your, day to day because okay yeah great we can you know we can heal there's the surgeries there's this stuff and and that's great i'm not downplaying it but how does how does that inform your faith or that idea to you know be more like god or or prepare you to be god or like what's the what's the inner piece to this outer kind of so so for me mormon transhumanists transhumanism in many ways saved my faith i was ready to give it up i I, the basics were beautiful and wonderful and I loved the basics, but I was so thirsty in the pews. I was so hungry. I wanted to feast and thirst and eat after feast upon the knowledge. Right. And, um, I wasn't getting that on Sundays. I wasn't, um, 
getting everything I needed to feel spiritually nourished. And so I had to go looking on my own. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where I was so unnourished that I was like, oh, maybe I'm feasting on the wrong thing. Maybe I should be feasting on different things. Mm -hmm. But when I found Mormon transhumanism, I was like, oh, this is the Mormonism I was always looking for. As a Latter-day Saint, I was taught these things all through my primary, all through my youth. And I did the same thing when I was primary president and I taught the kids these same things and everything like that. And Mormon transhumanism clicked. It made sense. And to me, it was, it was how it saved, it, it saved my faith. And I'm more Mormon now than ever. I'm more of a Latter-day Saint more now than ever because I have Mormon transhumanism. And how that affects my day-to-day life, um, in some ways, I have found myself taking my role as a child of God more seriously. Hmm. I am actually literally part God with the seeds of divinity in me, ready to sprout into Godhood, like my heavenly parents, right? Mm -hmm. And I have that potential and I never took it seriously until I heard transhumanism. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we actually mean this. It's not just a pleasantry or a platitude. Wouldn't that be nice? I know. Wouldn't that be nice if we were God someday? I'm like, oh no, we really mean it. Joseph Smith really meant it. Have you read the the King Follett sermon? Joseph Smith meant it. You know what I mean? And so in my day-to-day life, anytime, like almost anytime, I look at something around me and notice the technology around me. Again, whether it's my shampoo for my hair Mm -hmm. or the vitamins I take in the morning or the laptop I'm using to communicate with you right now, I look at all the technology and tools around me and think, how would a God be using this? Hmm. How would a God be using this? What would a God be doing with the technology we have right now? Because let's be honest, I'm not going to go out and, you know, cure anything. I'm a philosopher. I'm not a scientist Uh uh and not a mathematician. I'm a philosopher. And so we do a lot more talking than we do actually doing. But um, I'm not going to go out and cure cancer or find the vaccine for COVID or anything like that. But what I do have and what everybody has is technology at their disposal whether that's rudimentary or really complicated. And so I look at it as I am a child of God. I have all these tools and technologies at my disposal. What does God want me to do with these tools? How do I become like that? What am I going to do? How do I make Elder Holland's comments true? How do I do godly things, line upon line, precept upon precept, until I eventually become a God? Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we think about, uh, celestial glory or the celestial kingdom or heaven as um, a finish line. It's a trophy you receive after you die. But that's not what our theology says at all. Our theology says that heaven is a process of eternal becoming. We're eternal progression, eternal change. We're always growing. And with that in mind, eternity is right now. Eternity isn't over there. It's not under there. It's not back there. It's anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Eternity is right now. What am I doing right now to make eternity, celestial glory, a reality right now? That is our probation here on earth. That is it to become gods. How am I doing that right now? And let's say, oh my gosh, Blair, this is insane. You need to go back to the primary, go back to the basics. This is ridiculous, right? And you go, okay. And so let's say I keep on this Mormon transhumanist path. Mm -hmm. If I die tomorrow and I meet my makers and I'm sitting there in front of my heavenly parents and I'll say, "Um, I took you guys seriously. 
I actually believed everything I was taught and I did my best to make it true. Do you think they're going to be mad at me? Right. At worst, they're going to be like, oh, Blair, you really missed the marker, but we have a great place for you in HR at the Celestial Kingdom, okay? (laughs) Uh So, I mean, I don't believe in cruel heavenly parents that would torture me eternally because I took the scripture seriously. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense to me. What kind of benevolent parent does that? So, I mean, we all have our own path to follow. This is my path to follow. And I think I'm doing the best I can to read the scriptures, take them thoughtfully, internalize them, become like Jesus. Of course, I don't do it right all the time. Of course, I make mistakes. That's what the atonement is for. That's what grace is for. That's what repentance is for. And we take advantage of those. We do because we need to because none of us is perfect. But at the end of the day, if I have to meet my heavenly parents and they're furious at me for trying to make the world a better place with my technology, it wasn't even a God worth worshiping to begin with. Let's take a break right there. I have some more questions for you, but that's a, an excellent place uh, to just take a, a quick breather. We'll come back. There's three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you and some other ones as well. We'll come back and do that in the third block of the cultural hall. Best DJ in Utah.com. I know a lot of people are planning out their weddings right now, whether that's going to be summer 2021 or fall 2021, or, or maybe they're just like, you know what? I haven't even met that person yet, but you're thinking about your wedding. I know you do it. I know that that's a thing that happens. So if you are looking for a DJ, in fact, yay, the very best DJ in the state of Utah, you can go to bestdjinutah.com and you will find me, Richie T. I am the highest and most rated DJ in the state of Utah. How about that, huh? That's not a joke, actually. That's for real. Like 130 plus reviews on Google, all five stars. Would love it if you are looking for a DJ for any event, whether that's a family reunion, you're making the pilgrimage to Utah and you need someone to play music or be able to do the announcements for that shindig, or you're doing a wedding, or you're doing a high school reunion, whatever that thing may be, I would hope that you would trust me enough to go to bestdjinutah.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, as we wrap things out, uh, I just want to remind people that there is that place on Facebook where you can go and hang out with other people who love this show. It is the Cultural Hall back row. You don't have to pay any money to be a part of there. It's just a bunch of nerds who love this show so much. You can find it on Facebook by searching the Cultural Hall back row. We allow rabbit holes and tangents. And what did she say about this? And did you see in her background? I wonder where she got that pillow from. All those kind of things. You can hang out with people who like that. Just search the Cultural Hall back row on Facebook. And then we'll let you in the group. Now, Blair, I have to ask you. I bet that in uh, religious settings, to have you be a part of the conversation, it's like, let's get Blair's opinion on this. And you kind of get invited into, into stuff like that. I have to wonder, professionally, how does, how does what you do and what you've studied, how, how do you employ that? Like, how, Is that a profession or is it just like, I spend a lot of money and I'm super adept at you know, becoming more like God, but I, you know, I design houses or whatever. Yeah, no, um, um, most, uh, I, I get paid for my podcasts and um, I get paid sometimes for my writing and hopefully I'll make money off my book. Mm-hmm. So everything else outside there is just a labor of love. <laughs> and again, if I'm thinking to myself, I've been blessed with these tools and talents. And um, even in my patriarchal blessing, it says, Blair, you will be a pillar of strength in your community. Well, I take that seriously. And so um, when I get called into spaces to be like, hey, Blair, can you come talk to us about this? I'm like, I'd love to. If I have the time, I'd love to. I'd love to be a part of it. 
sometimes it's tricky because sometimes people aren't quite ready or don't really want to hear the things I have to say because they are really, uh, they're really strong. They're really bold. They're really robust. But for the most part, when I am invited into those spaces to talk, it's usually cautious optimism. <laughs> Tell people where they can uh, find your podcast and the things that you've done. We, you know, people may be hearing this and are like, yes, more Blair. I would, I would love to purchase said book or any of those things. Where can they find all that stuff about you? Yeah, you can find out all sorts of things about me on my website, BlairOsler.com. That's where I blog and you can read anything I have there. I also have a list of all the podcasts I've been on and recorded um, on my website. You can also connect with me on Facebook um, and any other place. Um, the book isn't released yet, but when it is, it will be available through By Common Consent Press and you'll probably be able to buy it on Amazon. So my work is around. It's floating around. Is it? Is the book going to be on Mormon transhumanism? No, the book is actually queer Mormon theology, okay. which is um, another area of academic interest that I spend time in, which actually tends to be a little more controversial than transhumanism. So transhumanism tends to be a little more bl mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. um, queer theology tends to be a little more uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because we go, hey, 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 wait a minute. I know when we had uh, Taylor Petrie here into the Cultural Hall and talked about some of the history uh, with some of that stuff, we certainly had some people with some strong thoughts about what we shared in, in our conversation with him. Well, that's, that's a whole different thing that we brought up right here at the end that we don't have enough time to talk about, Blair. <laughs> you just have to wait, and when my book comes out, you'll have me on again. Deal. That's a deal. <laughs> Now, let me ask you this. So you live in Provo, you live in the heart of it. And by the heart of it, I mean a lot of uh, some folks that maybe don't think anything more than just like, well, I go on Sunday and, you know, I treat people well. How are you how are you received in that and how can people better receive you or the and I say you like the the you because every ward has that one person where we go, OK, like we, like we need like we need to be more we need to be more open to that person. You know, how can how can we be better, you know, Latter-day Saints, better open minded people? Well, honestly, I first have to say I give props to Provo. I am like one of those weird souls that loves living in Provo. I've had so many good experiences here. People are very thoughtful, very kind and genuinely very um ready to reach out and understand. Generally speaking, there's always, you know, some less than pleasant experiences, <laughs> but generally speaking, Provo has been very good to me. And I think that in, um, I guess if we want to treat each other better, cause you're right. I am that person in the ward that when I raise my hand in gospel doctrine, um, you see the teacher hold their breath and like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, what you going to say now? Yeah. Is this <laughs> like, it's great. And we appreciate it, but also we do go, <gasps> Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. It's it's very true. I would say the one thing is is that it's it, it's tricky, but sometimes we have a insular culture in the church to where we treat difference or different understanding or different interpretation or different readings of passages as um confrontation, mm. and difference automatically leads away from the spirit. And so we really shun difference when we really should be learning from our differences. Um, it reminds me of what it said in um, Corinthians, Paul wrote about the body of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. The body of Christ is not all hands. It's not all eyes. It's not all feet. We're all different. The hand is different than the foot and the eye is different than the ear. And they're all different that way for a reason. And the whole reason the body of Christ functions is because we are different. 
So Jesus wanted to be us all to be the same and have the same opinions and the same readings and the same understandings of what uh, general authorities are saying then. Well, you know, God would have made us all the same, but God didn't make us the same. We're different and we're different by design. And so I would say if we're interested in creating spaces to be more welcoming, we have to start being open to understanding that differences don't have to drive out the spirit and differences is actually part of the design of the body of Christ. And differences can be scary for some people, right? And I'm not, I'm, I'm like, I'm not immune either. Sometimes right. I hear people say things and I'm like, uh, she did not say that. <laughs> so I'm not absolving myself from fault by any means. But what I am saying is that our differences are important. Our differences are good. And the sooner we can come to realize our differences are an opportunity for creativity and understanding instead of something we need to push away as something bad. How do you do that personally? I think that's a valuable lesson, and I would be curious to know how you do it. When you hear that thing that's different that you instantly go, there's a wall, (laughs) or I bristle, or man, I just want to combat it. And it's not that it's, you know, it's not that there's a right or a wrong, because I think that people will say, well, if there's a right or a wrong, you're all right to put up the wall because there's a right and there's a wrong. But if it's just different, how do you, how do you personally, Blair Osler, as we talk right now, how do you personally allow that space for difference without doing the very thing that you would ask other people not to do to you? Right. And I'm not going to lie. I haven't always been graceful in this and uh, I haven't always been as articulate and calm as I am right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I would say some of the things I've done when I've had very strong disagreements with people at church, usually from Relief Society or um, Gospel Doctrine. I've tried to step aside afterwards and privately have a conversation with that person. Mm -hmm. So nobody feels like they're being called out or judged or yelled at. So I try to create those spaces before. I've actually said things. I I, I bore a testimony once over a pulpit that said that our heavenly parents love their LGBTQ children. Mm -hmm. And I talked about that for a moment. And there was one person who was particularly upset by my testimony. And um, she came up to me afterwards and let me know and all sorts of things. But I was at least very appreciative that she, one, came to me directly and talked to me about it. She didn't go talk behind my back. She didn't go tap on the bishop or complain. She came and talked to me directly and said, this is what I thought about what you said. And my first response to her said, thank you for coming to me directly and handling this like an adult. Mm -hmm. I already respect you in this conversation. Let's please continue. So for me, just direct conversation and talking with the person you're having a problem with. And plus all the bishops right now should be going, yes, please go work it out amongst yourselves. Can you please give me a break? Because sometimes I feel like the nanny, you know? So um, that is another way, talking to each other directly. One, starting off privately in a space where nobody feels, you know, humiliated or things like that. And at times there have been times um, for me more as an LGBTQ person where some of the things that were said in church in, in a specific meeting were so harsh. And so I, I was in such a place that I could not respond constructively. I could not respond with the spirit of Christ in my heart that I needed to remove myself and I needed to go out to the parking lot and regather before I came in. Mm. So I think there's some um, something to be said about recognizing our own limits, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had reached my limit. I felt it in my heart. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just difference or confrontation. It was 
the spirit left Blair and Blair wanted to say some really things to make someone feel really little. Mm -hmm. And that was not the right spirit. And so I removed myself until I was ready to come back to the conversation as a grown up. Yeah. So those are a few of the things I try to do. It's not always perfect. Sure. Well, it's interesting that particular way, right? Like the, you feeling like you have to remove some people would look at that as like, oh, well, then you're letting the other person win and they can't win and I need to. And that's not what that is. Right. I mean, but we do like, like, yeah, yeah, you're right. No, there is something to be said, especially when it's in a public venue too. There Mm -hmm. is this sense that our dialogue is about winning instead Mm -hmm. of our dialogue being about understanding. And if we really went to the root of our dialogue as a matter of, I want to understand this person and Covey, what did he say? Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Mm -hmm. Right. If we went in our dialogues with this kind of spirit, instead of like, you're wrong, I'm right, I already have the right answers. You're not really in a place where you want to hear what the other person has to say, or even willing to. And I was in that place. I was like, no, I am right. And you are wrong. (laughs) And I was in that place where I could not hear what the other person was saying. Now, to this day, I still think I was right, but I have a different spirit about, I have a different spirit about, okay, I was not coming to this conversation seeking to understand this other person. And this other person clearly wasn't wanting to understand me either. Mm -hmm. And I think it's okay to say, you know what, this conversation, the spirit left the conversation. We're not entering into difference to understand. We're entering for difference to win. And Sometimes it's okay. I, I feel like it's the grown-up thing to do to go put yourself in a timeout mm-hmm. out in the parking lot and say, I will come back once I have collected myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then what I like to do is I like to hop on social media, tag the person, and then tell them how terribly wrong they were. Is that is that is that not productive? Is that not the thing? I hope not. Although that has happened too. I have definitely been tagged in things on social media where I'm like, yeah, I'm not even going to touch that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not going to touch it. I'm yeah. let it lie. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, all right. Three questions. We ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you right now. First question is, is do you have a calling? And if so, what is it? I don't have a calling right now. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? I would love to be on the high council. Yeah. Because you like traveling yeah. or you like talking? I Well, I do a lot of presentations and I do a lot of writing and work like that. But for me, um, I like the idea of being able to go and talk to different wards about what their needs are and hopefully be able to be a helpful tool in addressing those needs. I also think that it would be really great to unfortunately be on a disciplinary council that I think more women's voices and we need um, different kinds of views on, uh, you know, disciplinary councils and how that would take place. So as a high council woman, mem, person, mm-hmm. whatever, as a high counselor, I would love to participate in that part of the gospel and that part of the work. It is an interesting thing. Actually, as you say that, I'm like, you know, I, I mean, I understand, I guess, from the priesthood structure as far as the high counselors go and that it would be men that would travel around. But there's no reason within the structure of the church why we couldn't have women who spoke and traveled. And it would certainly and, and it would certainly break it up for us as well. Yeah, some have actually uh, included in the high council uh, speaking circuit have included um, Relief Society presidents, primary presidents, young women's presidents, and things like that. And that's yeah. been terrific. Yeah. Well, and then you talk about uh, the disciplinary councils as well. As one who's been a part of a couple of disciplinary councils, it certainly does. There, It would be a different setting if it weren't just a bunch of men and the, the person that's being disciplined. Although we don't even have disciplinary councils anymore, Blair. They're called something else that doesn't sound nearly as 
Court of Love. Yeah. No, no, no. They're not even called Court of Loves anymore. Oh. They're called. What are they called now? They're called uh, membership somethings. They've they've oh. they've softened they've softened the terminology because okay. it's, because I think it's also not it's also not excommunicated now. It's like release of terms or something like that. Con- contract ended. I want to be, be part of the membership council thingy that yeah. you just said. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Done. You're called, I think. I don't think I have the authority to do that. The last no. question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, and I would ask you to interpret it however you will, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. There's so many good ones. I think what we've talked about here, my favorite part of my faith is the idea that each of us has the potential to become a God someday. And I don't think, and it, it is something in other religions and deification isn't exclusive just to Mormons, but Mormonism and the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and temple worship and everything, we do it in ways that other, other traditions just aren't quite doing. And I love the idea that I am a child of gods, plural, and I can become a God someday too. That's probably my favorite part. Do you also, when you sing the song, do you change it to, and they have sent me here? Guilty as charged. I'm always changing pronouns when I sing in the pews. I knew it. I could tell the second you sat down here in the cultural hall. Uh, Blair, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen to it this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen to it next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat.